you mentioned that you were like an apology. You feel like you're owed that from Oprah. I what do. do you want from Russell? Oof. Tough. You know, I what I want for us as a people, hip hop and black people, is healing. I want that for us. I want for us as black men and women and black people of whatever gender identity to make a decision not to emulate the worst things in mainstream culture. So just because they may have men who are getting away with it doesn't mean we can or should emulate that. We clap on the two and the four and we season our food. We can do things our own way. Okay. And we also can't afford it because we're way more vulnerable than they are. Mm -hmm. So if we are out here harming ourselves and each other and harming our women who are like the backbone and love our men to the ground, yeah. all we're doing is making ourselves weaker, which actually enables the white supremacist status quo. Like we're just, we actually need to be stronger. So that's what I want for us. What about him? Yes, because I need to know. I, I need to know. I would love to just hear you say honestly in your hearts of hearts, what do you want from Russell? What, what Is it an apology? Is it saying I admit to what I did to you? Is is it that? Is it so? Is it jail time? Is that know, something that I struggle that you with want? that too because I mean right. I struggle with you know the whole because allegedly a crime was com committed. Oh yeah. Let me change the course of my life um, and of all of his victims' lives. Um, and I distinguish between being a victim and a survivor. I am both because not all victims do. So I'm just going to say it changed the course of many lives. Some of us who are here, some of us who may not be here. Because mm -hmm. my DMs be a popping. Mm. With... All testimonies. Of, that's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially in hip hop. Especially so, being a woman within this culture. It's it's difficult. I would like for him to just go away. Go away? I mean, he's we technically in Bali. He's back. Oh, he's back. I didn't know that. He's in LA. He's back. He's mm. back. And make us whole. To whatever extent he can. What, what make would us make whole. you whole? Something, what, what would that be for you? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. So you're not quite sure what you want from him? I'm not quite sure. Mm. Lighten our load in some way. Would it be coming forth and saying, these women aren't lying. They're telling the truth and I'm sorry. Or even just not the sorry, but just coming, you know, to the forefront and saying, Drew Dixon that did happen. And I'm letting the world you know, know that I, I did even, do that to you. I don't even, I, I think he's Would so, that give you some? He's so odious to me mm. that him, words coming out of his mouth, like I don't even want to see words coming out. I don't want to see his face. So him mm. speaking words, I really just never want to see him again, which is impossible because he's like a global brand. Yeah. He's yeah. literally a global brand. So that sucks. You know, I just, um, I, what I really want, it's less about him. It's about the people who 
enable him. Stop. Still enabling him. Stop inviting him to things. Stop taking pictures with him. So you really want him to go away? Just go away. To no longer exist in hip hop. I just don't want to see you. Fall back. You don't, you aren't worthy of any of us, of any of this. Mm. I know earlier you mentioned that you're healed. Those were your words, right? You feel healed. Healing. So is it it's still a process? It's a for lifelong you? process. Okay. Okay. I'm healing. Okay. But I am strong enough to be angry, and that took some time. Mm. So you're okay with saying you're still angry? Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's fair. And that's fair. Now, I did see, I did read something where I felt like at one point, did you guys have a conversation where he kind of apologized to you? Oh, he did. Yeah. So, I mean, Russell Simmons is the king of hip hop. So as long as I was still in the music industry, I was bound to run into him. So that happened quite often. But there was one particular time when I was at an event with Clive Davis and I often would be out with Clive. If Clive was out, you know, I was sort of at his side. You know, Keith Naftali, Peter Edge, and I were kind of like often right there with him. And um, we were at some event, and I got up and I walked away from the table where I was sitting with Clive. And I was sort of like walking through the crowd, maybe near the stage. I'm not even sure what the event was anymore. Mm. But he, Russell, tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around and I was like, you know, seeing a ghost. I mean, I would see him around, but I obviously was always unpleasant. Mm -hmm. But I always had to have my poker face because he's still Russell Simmons and I didn't want him to be an enemy. Um, And he said, I just wanted to let you know that I'm sorry. And I do yoga now and I have daughters now and I realize it was fucked up. And I'm just sorry, and I hope we can be cool. And I was just like, you know, we're cool. We're cool. You know, I mean, the last thing I wanted was beef with Russell Simmons. Right. I mean, even though I was doing well at Arista and was working with Clive, Russell Simmons was way more powerful than I was. Mm-hmm. I couldn't afford that. And there was also another point where I was involved in Arista's acquisition of profile records. And Run DMC is really the biggest artist on Profile Records. Mm-hmm. And Lior Cohen had actually called me about that deal and sort of was fishing to find out if I was going to be a problem for Joey Simmons' run because of what happened. And I was like, no, you know, I'm cool. Like, I would be thrilled to work with Run DMC. I love Run DMC. I'd be honored. You know, um, it's all good. And then I saw Russell again, kind of around that time. And I said, you know, I just want to let you know, like, I would love to work with your brother. And, you know, it's all good. You know, I'm, it's, it's, it's all good. Mm-hmm. You know, again, like, what am I going to do? You know, he's yeah. Russell Simmons. Yeah. So. I wanted you to share that story because, I mean, he denies it. But from your recollection, for what you remember, he actually apologized. Do you think he was apologizing about the alleged rape? Or the inappropriateness that was happening um, in the office. Because he did admit to being inappropriate. Right. And he apologized about that. In the New York Times article. Yeah. No, he, he was apologizing. He was apologizing. And that's why I quit. Mm-hmm. 
I quit. I mean, I stopped coming to work and then I quit right after. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't, I stopped coming to work for several months and then I came and saw him and then quit like the next day. Yeah. Like, mm. And then I was going to just quit the music industry, but I couldn't, I had to still pay my rent. Mm-hmm. And I started to run out of money quickly. Mm-hmm. And I did still have this soundtrack that was still like in the top 10. Mm. So by this time, I was dating Jason Jackson, who I mentioned before, okay. who I started dating when I quit. Okay. And Jason was like, well, I don't want you to leave. Because I was like thinking about leaving New York, just like throwing in the towel. Okay. So he actually set up meetings for me at Arista, Electra, Sony, because I had this credit and I was still on the charts. So he right. was like, I can get you a meeting, Drew, anywhere. So I got all these meetings. Jason set them up. Mm-hmm. And I really was like very sour in all the meetings. Like the record business is no place for someone who loves music. And I love music. I was just like very like cranky. Like I was, I was not in a good place. Yeah. But then I met Clive. Clive Davis. Clive Davis. Yes. And Clive is a music man. Mm-hmm. We hit it off about music. Mm-hmm. I was first interviewed by this guy named Keith Naftali, who's now at RCA. Peter Edge wasn't there yet, but Peter Edge later joined the A&R department Tosh Gorelli was there. It was all white men, actually. Most of them were gay. I used to jokingly call it the gay and art apartment, but the maybe I'm not allowed to say that. The gay and apartment. <laughs> with nothing but love. Yes. And I just fell in love with, like, Keith immediately. Yeah. And then I fell in love with Clive. And I was, like, mm. trying to be mad. But, you know, Clive had this trick that he would always use on me over the f- almost five years we worked together. Because mm. we would get in arguments about, like, a single or, like, a mix. Like, it was always about the stuff. But I was like, that's the wrong, you know, what I was, and I would get so, you know, adamant. And he was like, Drew's mad at me. And then he would, <laughs> he had, like, a stash of records that were, like, hot off the presses, like, fresh out the oven. Mm-hmm. On, like, whether it was Sarah McLachlan or TLC or, you know, mm-hmm. Faith or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Tony Braxton. And he would have like the only copy or like one of the few copies. I didn't have a copy. And he knew what I liked and he would play a song that I liked. And by the first chorus, I was like, oh, we're friends again. We're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> pulling at your heart, heart yeah. strings. He knew your love language. Y'all both that had was the my same love language. love language. That was it. And we really did have, that's a great way to put it. And I, we all shared that love language. Clive, Keith, me, eventually Peter, Hosh. But, you know, it was just, and I was just like, okay, I'll do this. Yeah. And so I worked for Clive. I had a great run. I mean, I got an artist signed my second week there, an all-black female rock band called Edith's Wish out of Atlanta. Okay. The record never came out just because we couldn't agree on the production and the direction. And I have more sort of muscle now than I had then. I think I could have, like, pushed a little harder, but I didn't have, I couldn't push but I got them signed in the first two weeks, which people were like amazed. They're like, what? Like you've been here two weeks? And, you know, and then, you know, so I now- started to find songs for his artists. So okay. I basically tapped my hip hop network mm-hmm. to get songs for his megastars. So, you know, Lauren was my friend. Lauren was working in the miseducation. And Lauren called and said, I have a song idea for Aretha Franklin. It's inspired by a rose in Spanish Harlem. Can mm. I sing it for you over the phone? She sang a rose, a solo rose for me over the phone. Mm. We did the demo. I played the demo for Clive. He's like, I love it. Is Wyclef going to produce? I was like, no, she's going to produce. She's making a record. She's going to produce. Wow. He's like, really? He said, okay, I need to hear like a demo of it, of it, like how she wants to produce it before I play it for Aretha. And she needs to add a bridge. So she added a bridge, which was killer. And he was right. And she killed it. 
And then he was like, okay. He's like, should Stevie J produce? I was like, no, Lauren is going to do it. And she did the it. The woman is going to the do it. The woman is going to do it. And she did it. <laughs> and then I also let him, I also convinced him to let her direct the video. Um, mm. And Aretha, that got Aretha her first Grammy nomination in 25 years. Wow. She didn't win, but she got the nomination. Yeah. And then I called Wyclef who I like knew through Lauren. Well, first I worked with Wyclef on a song for Andrea Martin, who I also had signed with Keith Naftali in the very beginning okay. as a singer. Yeah. And rest she, in peace. Oh, rest in peace. <clears throat> rest in peace. Mm-hmm. One of the best voices I've ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. One of the best songwriters I've ever heard in my life. One of the best producers I've ever worked with in my life. And it was straight colorism. It's colorism. Wow. She should be a star. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. We actually wrote a song together about me saying me too. That was going to be the end title song for on the record, but Oprah wanted a big name. I still have this recording. It is absolute fire. It's called silent. Silent. I won't say silent. It's beautiful. And, um, and then, you know, I'm blessed. Lauren Hill did the end title song and I'm so proud of it. Yeah. That she did that. Yeah. But I didn't know that. Yeah. And then, you know. So her song is part of the on the record. It's at the end of the song. Like, it's a song she'd already performed live before, so mm-hmm. it was an original. It was not an original song, but she submitted it. It's it's Damnable Heresies. Okay. It's fire. Nice. It's fire. Mm. Um, But, um, you know, and so then through Lauren and really Jason, I knew Wyclef as well, and Wyclef had worked with Andrea, and then Wyclef called me and said, I have a song idea for for Whitney called My Love Is Your Love. My Love Is Your Love. And he played it for Whitney me and it. I brought it in and played it for Clive. And then he also called me one day and said, I have a song idea for Carlos Santana. And that was Maria Maria. Mm. And then Montel Jordan, who I'd worked with at Def Jam, mm-hmm. called me one day and said, I have a song idea. And I think it was at the time for Whitney. And he played it for me when it was Nobody Supposed to Be Here. Deborah And Cox. We Can't Be Friends. Deborah and I Cox love them and I played them for Clive. The A&R department wanted to give it to Faith, and I love me some Faith, but I was like, but Deborah needs to break. She didn't break on her first album, and Deborah can sing. And I pushed Damn. that from Faith to Deborah, and Deborah knows it and always acknowledges it and thanks me. So that's how <laughs> Nobody's Supposed to Be Here happened. And then I met Q-Tip sort of through friends, and so when Tri broke up, I signed Tip. Vibrant Thing was the first single on the album that he put out on Arista, although it was also on the Violator compilation. Mm-hmm. And then Breathe and Stop was really our first exclusive first single, but that came out just as Clive was being ousted. Mm. So that got lost in the cracks. And I also signed Brand Nubian for a reunion album, which was like a thrill because they were one of the groups that inspired me to do this in the yeah, first place. Like I met Alamo earlier. at Howard okay. back in the day. So... I was like, yo, and he called me and he was like, yeah, we want to do a reunion album. And I signed that, you know, and I was so proud to be part of Foundation. A Rose is still a Rose, a hit, Aretha Franklin. You're back with that. And then you have... Maria Maria, My Love is Your Love. I think My Love is Your Love was first, then Maria Maria. Um, Nobody's supposed to be here. I'm just still stuck on that. Like I mentioned Tupac earlier. Do you have a Whitney Houston story that you would like to share? You know, one of my favorite Whitney Houston stories is, well, I have two well, and they both involve Lauren. One is when Lauren Lauren produced a record on the My Love Is Your Love album, which is a cover of Stevie Wonder's I Was Made to Love Him. 
Mm-hmm. So I was made to love her, but it's I was made to love him on Whitney's record. Mm-hmm. It was fire, but Whitney was three days late, not hours, days. And I was supposed to meet my cousin for a vacation, and I was like late, and my cousin was alone in the hotel, and her parents were all mad at me because she was like on her college like semester <laughs> abroad, and she was like alone in the hotel. Right. That's one Whitney story. But my favorite Whitney story, also involving Lauren, I was hanging out with Lauren at her house. One day, like a bunch of us, probably Jason, Suzette Williams, like the crew. Mm-hmm. And we were going to see a movie. And Lauren was, I think, driving. And she was playing us her remix with the Bob Marley, like, Turn Your Lights Down Low. Mm-hmm. And so I'd never heard it before. I mean, it's fire. So it's like blasting in our car. We're like all like, you know, whatever. And somebody is following us. Like every light, somebody's flashing their headlights. And they're like zooming. And like, we're trying to lose them. Like, who is this person? And then finally, we can't lose them, and they pull up as in a Hummer next to us at the light. And it's Whitney. She's like, Lauren, Lauren, what are you doing? <laughs> Getting chased down by the Whitney, Whitney Houston. Houston. Yep. <laughs> Was she by herself? I can't even remember. Wow. I can't even remember. That's really. a good well, one. that is something else, right? That's a good one. So that's, yeah, yeah. And, and then Nobody's Supposed to Be Here, Iconic, hit another mm-hmm. one, Deborah Cox. You was responsible for bringing that to Deborah because it was initially made for Patty LaBelle. Patty LaBelle? That was written for Patty LaBelle. By yep. Montel Jordan. By Shep Crawford and and Montel Jordan. Okay. Shep Crawford is a songwriter who was out of Atlanta. Okay. Who had worked with Montel. Okay. And they wrote that together for Patty. Wow. And Patty passed on it. Patty passed. And they played it for me and I was like, what? <laughs> Give it well, to our clients. Right. Here, and right? I was like, yo, Deborah can sing this into the ground. And she did. And she sure did. And you're responsible for that. Yeah. Gotta give it up to you for that because that, that's huge. And then you followed up with her and RLL. RL, that's right. We yeah. can't be friends. Who was, you know, I had also been part of signing next, KG's mm-hmm. group. Um, I was involved in that. That was, you know, Clive, Keith. We all kind of brought that in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was working with Next, and I was like, wait, you know, RL, you know, could could do this. Um, and I love that song mm-hmm. so much. Um, but, you know, I tried in my way at Arista to still represent for hip-hop. Yeah. You know, so even though these were R&B records or even like Maria Maria pop record, it was clef. It was, it was hip-hop infused. It was hip-hop, you for know. For sure. And it was hip-hop. My love is your love as well. It's hip-hop. Yeah. It's hip-hop. You can and even see Whitney Houston kind of, That's you know, exactly right. Bopping in the video. Exactly. She was giving hip-hop vibes with her leather jacket and, and curly like fro. Like hip-hop, <laughs> but like hip-hop. Soul. With swag. Yeah. And soul, but uplifting. Yeah. Not corny uplifting. Mm-mm. But- if you listen, a rose is still a rose. Was yes, very, oh, that's so right. Beautiful. I always tried. Yeah, you know whether it was the duet, like in my way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why you're so important to this show. You're so important to the culture, mm. and that's why it was big for me to have you here. Thank so you. you know, so we could talk about the impact and the influence and the contributions that you gave to this culture. It's so special. One other thing I'm proud of is the brand new reunion. We had that record with Loon on it. Loon. Get your back up off the wall because I signed Loon. Yes. Loon ended up on Bad Boy, really, because Arista couldn't figure out what to do with him. And I think L.A. Reid didn't know what to do with him. So Mm -hmm. when L.A. came, Puffy was like, what if I take him? So when Puff offered to take him, I was like, you should just do that. But even like the record with Loon on it, on the... Brand new being an album back up off the wall. Mm-hmm. And this is like, I mean, I know Loon is out now. I'm so glad he's out now. I haven't talked to him since he got out. But mm-hmm. 
you know, I'm sure he would tell you he had this lyric, um, light-skinned mommy is the wife I need. You know, mad because you're twice my speed, whatever. Light-skinned mommy, that's the wife I need. And I was like, yo, who's Loom, that about? This is brand Nubian. <laughs> this is brand Nubian. Right. <laughs> and I mean, I get it. I'm light-skinned. But we get more than enough burn. This is I didn't sign brand Nubian for that. <laughs> You know, I was like, so you were cognizant of what was going on. Absolutely. Yeah. And he changed it. And I was also like, I don't think they're going to be cool with that. But even before it got to that, I was like, yo, look, come on now. Yeah. I was like, I love your little hook. Spread the love, brother. But nah, 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 nah. (laughs) And again, that's not like, I mean, you know, like I appreciate the love and everything like that, but nah. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, and you already see where Andrew Martin was dealing with the color. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, I always, it's kind of like the rebounds. I go back to my rebounder mentality. Yeah. How can I use my life, my time on this earth, my time Mm -hmm. in this industry, my Mm -hmm. time in this culture to help, like, just move us forward? Damn. How do I move us forward? And I felt like hip hop was this force that was moving us forward. And then it became commercial and it became a lot of other things. It still is that in a way it's other things. And black wealth is a way of moving us forward. But we also learned, I have learned a couple of black billionaires does not make us all free. Mm, Talk about it. So I'm, you know, now I'm speaking up for survivors. I try to center black survivors. Yes, yes, yes. Because um, a lot I, of us didn't feel like the Me Too movement right. we was a part of that or felt not like that all. was our fight. And a lot of us still don't Absolutely feel that way. Not. It was started by a black woman. That's Shout right. out to Toronto Burke. Right. But I don't feel like it became on a bigger scale, on a grander scale, after the Harvey Weinstein. When, my, when mainstream media took it, what they wanted... You know, the movie stars, that was the headline. That's mm-hmm. what sold newspapers or whatever. I don't even know what get that clicks. Also, that's what got clicks. Right. And even me getting this lane to be featured in this film, like I'm not stupid. I get like yeah. how I read. I get it. Right. So it's like okay. But if you're gonna give me the microphone in the lane, let's talk about my sisters. Yeah. Let's talk about all of us. Yeah. You know, let me take this opportunity mm-hmm. to try to make sure we are able to get off of the back of the Me Too bus, mm-hmm. which is like Toronto is driving. How do we get in the back? Mm-hmm. We need to get up to the front. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I love hip hop. Yeah. Because I believed it certainly at the beginning was sort of anti-respectability politics, anti Cosby show, anti, let's be polite and palatable. It was like, we have something to say and we're going to say it how we're going to say it. And we're going to say it, it's going to be fly. Yeah. But it's going to be real. Mm. You know, and over time, obviously it became something different. But that's what I love about hip hop. That's what I will always love about hip hop. I will always consider myself hip hop. Yeah. And, um, you know... I have to ask you this, and I know we're going a little bit over time, but just to further talk more about your eye for talent, your mm. ear for talent, your Arista days, you were one of the ones, probably the one that found Kanye West. And- I, that's right. I sure did. I was approached by Londell McMillan, an attorney at the time, still an attorney, but an attorney who okay. I knew at that time, uh-huh. really because of Prince. 
Clive had done a one album deal with Prince and that's how I met both Prince and Landell and I actually got Pharrell to do a remix on a Prince record called for the greatest romance that's uh, never been sold or ever been sold that Pharrell did. And um, so through that, I met Londell and Londell called me and said, I want you to check out Kanye's demo. Like people knew Kanye as a producer at that time. Right. And I was like, okay. So I went to Londell's office and I met with Kanye in the conference room. It was just the two of us. Kanye played me his album. He like stood next to me and like rhymed every song just to make sure I got every lyric, which I loved. I was like, I love how much he means it. Mm, passion. And like, I, and I get that like he may not look like what you think a star is supposed to look like, but Biggie didn't either. Mm-hmm. According to, I guess, what people think that is, right? Like right. the obvious version of it. Right. I was like, but... He is determined to get from point A to point B. And you heard that in Kanye's. I can see it. I can feel it. Right. I was like, and he needs to get there. And we will all be better off if we just help him get there. Wow. And I believed. And um, and Hey Mama, that was on the first album, right? Hey Mama. And that like made me cry. Mm. And so I was like, I have to sign. I'm doing this. We're doing this. And I set up the audition. <laughs> so you heard the first album? Yeah. I set up the audition L.A. passed in it. He didn't just pass in it. He told me I sucked at my job. He told me I wasn't even close. And at around the same time, like shortly thereafter, actually, I tried to sign John Legend. Wait. You brought Kanye to audition to L.A. Reid? Yeah. Kanye West shows up. Auditions. He performs for L.A. Reid. In the conference room. Who's all in the room? Mark Pitts, KP, Daryl Jones. Daryl Jones and I both kind of co-set it up because Daryl was also already talking to his people. Okay. And he proceeded to pass. He, you know, he said, please wait outside. And I'll, he was like, it's a pass. I was like, okay, I'll go tell him. He's like, no, sit down. This isn't even close. This is a waste of my time. You're bad at your job. And um, I was like, okay, can I just tell him because he's waiting, you know? So I told him in my office, he's like fighting back tears. I was like, you know what? You shake it off. Mm. You're going to get a deal. You're going to win some of the Grammys. You won't know where to put them. You are amazing. You're good. Don't even think about it. Just keep it moving. And he was what? Correct. Okay. And then I tried to sign John. Mm. Were they all, was there always a connection there? No, it's funny. I almost wonder now if I was the connection. Because Talk it just about occurred it. to me because John has signed his label. Good music. And I wonder because... So I was applying to business school by now because I'm like, I got to get out of here. And I know you were already making your exit plan. I was making my exit plan. And honestly, I was like, what's the closest I could ever get to being like a man and maybe even a white man? Like that would give me the most power in the world. I was like, you know what? A Harvard MBA. That might do the trick. I'm here to tell you it didn't. But I thought it might. So I was applying to Harvard Business School. I got in. And when I went to like one of the mixers for people who'd gotten in, but like early, like very early on, before I decided if I was going to go, I met a woman who had gone to Penn with John and had worked at Boston Consulting Group with John. And she was like, I have a friend who wants to be an artist. Can I set up a meeting? So I met John through like somebody who was going to Harvard Business School. Yeah. 
ultimately who who went to Harvard school with me. Right. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to be terrible. He's going to be so corny. Like he goes, he went to Penn and he works at a consulting firm. He's going to be so bad. But whatever, if I do- <laughs> The des- judgment of it all, Drew. Oh my God. I was like, but if I do decide to go to Harvard Business School, I don't want these people to think I'm obnoxious because I'm like a record executive. So I'll be nice just to make sure that I'm, you know, Kenna and I are cool. I don't want Kenna, I don't want to start off on the wrong track with these people. I'm like, sure, I listen to them. I'll listen to it. So he comes in <laughs> and he like plays me his demo, which was basically the Get Lifted album, mm. except Ordinary People. Mm. And I was like, well, damn. <laughs> Who well, wrong? You. <laughs> damn. And then he had a show at SOBs. He was like opening for somebody, I think. Wow. And I went and I was like on the front row and he was like all like making sure I could see. I was like, oh my God, you're killing it. I played his demo. He was John Stevens at the time mm-hmm. for LA. LA was like, okay, cool. We can set up an audition. And then like the day of the audition, he was like, never mind. And then he was like, okay. He changed his mind again. He's like, okay, fine. And then we set up an audition at SIR, like booked a room, paid for it. John like took the week, rehearsed with this band. Not only did he not show up at the audition, he told the whole senior staff not to go. So I went to the audition with my assistant, Lesvia, and we sat together and all the folding chairs, they were empty except our two chairs. And John and his band just did his set for us. So John Legend gets the boot. No. Got the boot. And look at him now. Yeah. And Kanye got the boot. And I actually just literally sitting here with you now, I wonder if they connected through that me. I wonder because that is the common thread. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even thought of that. Mind blown. <laughs> and then years later, after business school... John hired me to run his label, which I did. He'd already signed Estelle. Mm-hmm. He played the album for me. He thought it was done. I mm-hmm. said, she's dope. This is dope, but I don't hear a single. You are not done. I worked for Clive Davis. I learned to make records with like five first singles. And mm. you are John Legend. Let's call Will I Am. I'll call Wyclef. You call Swizzy. <laughs> call Kanye. And we got... You know, great records made. Will I Am made American Boy. It didn't have Kanye on it. Will I Am made Just a Touch, whatever. Like, Clef made two dope records. So you were part of American Boy. That's right. And What up? This is Torrey, host of the Hard to Earn podcast. And if you're a fan of music reviews, then be sure to check out and subscribe to Hard to Earn. When my partner Bonesu Thompson and I review your favorite new albums and classic albums on pivotal anniversaries, you know, 10, 15, 20, etc. We review track by track, rating from 1 to that elusive perfect 10. It's brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip-hop, powered by creators. Put Kanye on. That's right. So American Boy was done. John Legend let you hear that. Is that what that is? American Boy didn't exist until after I started working there. I said, right. call Will I Am. Because... American Boy got made while I was running his label. Because she was signed to him. She was signed to him. Mm. But the album that he thought was done didn't have American Boy on it. And you said, no, we need And I was more. like, we're not finished. Right. He called Will A.M. He was like, okay, Will A.M.'s going to be in Miami for the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I'm going to Miami for the Super Bowl. If Estelle comes to Miami for the Super Bowl, we can book Circle House and record. Mm-hmm. So I called Julian Lior. Reunited with them again, which is part of why I quit right after American Boy blew up. And I was not there sitting in the front row at the Grammys when it won three months later because I was not, I couldn't tolerate being around all the people who'd been enablers of, enablers of Russell at Def Jam. Yeah. And like smiling in their face to get stuff done for Estelle was re traumatizing. So I quit and Ooh. didn't get the American Boy bag either. 
But whoa. So American Boy got made that weekend at Super Bowl weekend at Circle mm-hmm. House because I pushed John to keep going. Came back. I was like, oh my God, that's a smash. Estelle correctly said it's too pop for me. So we kept cutting. She made dope records with Wyclef, you know, Swizzy, Shine, which became the title track, which I actually co-wrote. And it was my idea when we were mixing Shine. I was like, that should also be the name of your album. That's why the album's called Shine. Mm. And Estelle was right. She loved American Boy, but she's like, it's too pop. It's too pop. Meanwhile, Kanye kept saying he was going to produce a track for her, but he was so busy, so busy touring, promoting. I think he was on like the oh, the Glow tour, whatever. Mm-hmm. So finally, I was pushing my kids in the stroller one day. My kids mm-hmm. were like, my son was like three months old when I started working for mm-hmm. John and my daughter was two. I was pushing the kids in the stroller one day and I'm listening to American Boy on my iPod, not my iPhone, my iPod. <laughs> and I'm like, take it back. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is the single. Estelle is right that it's too pop. Kanye is too busy to produce a record. But what if he just spits 16 bars on this record and then we can be done? And so I told John, I told Estelle, they were like, great, but he's busy. My old assistant, Lesvia, mm-hmm. the one who sat next to me at John's audition, right. was now working at Universal in the promotions department marketing. And I said, can you pull up Kanye's tour schedule and see if he has any time in New York City, like in the next couple months? Yeah. She said, yeah, there's a 48-hour window coming up in like two weeks. I was like, okay, John, call your boy. Ask him if we can have those 48 hours. I will send a car to Teterboro. Mm-hmm. I was, my stomach growled. I will send a car to Teterboro. Didn't hear it. And bring him <laughs> to Platinum. Because mm-hmm. even though it was Will I Am's record, we were at that point mixing at Platinum, Clef Studio, okay. Clef and Jerry Wonder Studio. Sent the car to Teterboro. Kanye comes. I'm there. He comes in and he goes in the studio and he's like, and then uh, 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 uh. first of all, we talk about the fact that I tried to sign him. He remembers. I was like, do you remember? He's like, do I remember? Why do you think I'm here right now? That part. Come on. This is before Kanye. Like, I used to be able to talk to Kanye when he did the Taylor Swift thing. I called him. I'm like, what are you doing? He called me back. I'm like, dude. And then, I'll be honest, when he started dating Kim, he changed all of his numbers, and he lost touch with all of his people, and I've never been able to talk to him since, and it's devastating. But, so he comes in. He's like, the American Boy track is up, and he's like, uh, 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 but he's not saying words, and like he's like opening up track after track, and I'm like, has he not written anything? Like, I'm really worried. Like, he's on like the fourth track. Mm. And then he's like, okay, open up another one. And then he starts doing the words. And I'm like, oh, he does that for cadence. Mm. So he does the whole, he does like multiple tracks for cadence. Mm-hmm. We know this now. We know this he, now. Yeah. But I didn't know that. Mm-mm. I was like worried. And then it was like fire. It was absolute <laughs> fire. But then it was 48 bars. It wasn't 16. Look at that. And we only opened the top. So the record was 48 bars of Kanye before Estelle said a word. So then we were like, okay, we'll break it up into two chunks. Mm-hmm. And that's how American Boy became American Boy. And my son is in the video at the very end. I saw that. Little cutie. And I'm, you know, my son is like, I have 100 million views. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Drew. How do you feel kind of just like reflecting on your journey and your contributions to hip hop? You know, look at the heavy names I'm mentioning, like Aretha, yeah, Lauren Hill, yeah, Whitney Houston, yeah. Kanye. I'm proud of it. You know, it's what I came here to do. It's like I went to get them rebounds. I came to New York City to do this. 
I did not, however, factor in misogyny. I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to prove to them that I can do it and they're going to see it. They're going to respect me. I didn't get how misogyny works. I didn't get that. I didn't get rape culture. I also didn't know I was a survivor. So I'm thinking I'm walking around, you know, like the movie, The Sixth Sense. I'm thinking I'm walking around saving the kid, but I'm actually walking around with a bloody shirt. And the predators were like, oh, we can see the blood on her shirt. Yeah. She's a mark. I was a mark. I didn't know I was a mark. Do you feel like when you say I'm a mark, because hearing your story, what it feels like to me is that people use your passion Mm. against you as a weapon against you. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. My enthusiasm. Your hunger. Your hunger. You were so hungry and wanting so much to just be successful. And to contribute. Yeah. And to hear the record and to stand in the room and listen to it for 40 minutes on a loop and be like, we did that. I was in it for that moment. And because you were passionate about it and because you're beautiful and sexy and all this great things, aesthetically pleasing, and by in this industry being so male-dominated, they abuse your passion. Yeah. Right? And I didn't know how to... I didn't, I didn't understand that. I didn't know how to deal with that. I see it every day. Mm -hmm. I see it every day. I've dealt with it in this industry where it's like, I'm actually in this room to prove to you that I belong to be in this room. Mm -hmm. And the way that I can do that is just by doing my job. Can Mm -hmm. you just allow me to do my job? Mm -hmm. So when I hear you say that you try to maneuver in these spaces where it's like, okay, calm down. Yeah, I know. You think I'm high, whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm, I'm here because right. I, I want to be here. One, I love to be here and I'm great yeah. at what I do. Right. Literally trying to balance all of that and just trying to survive and thrive is hard. It's really hard. And what I now know as I'm healing, but I'm much more healed than I was then. Much more healed than I was five years ago when I came forward. Yeah. Boundaries. <sighs> Boundaries. Do you regret anything? Do you wish you could do anything differently? I wish, like, I wish I'd learned growing up as a kid that passion is cool, getting the rebounds are cool, having heart, keeping your eye on the prize is cool. But somebody, some part of you needs to just be like, okay, but who's protecting your light? What, who's, who's, like, I wish I could go back and protect that little girl, that young woman. I wish I just knew how to throw an elbow. I could throw an elbow to get a record made. And I don't mean literally, but I could just fight and be like, get the reels and wind them back and all of that to get the record made. But I didn't have the same fight for myself. Mm. And honestly, being a mother is what has done it. Mm. Because I had to learn to show up to create boundaries for them. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like, Something happened to my daughter literally a year ago where somebody did something horrible to my daughter to hurt me. And I was like, you know what? Me not having boundaries isn't just dangerous for me. It's dangerous for my kids. And I'm a single woman. I'm not a rich woman. But I could just do what I can to just, just, you know, just protect myself and my kids, you know, at least to be aware. You feel like you found your voice? I found my voice, you know. And also I found the limitations of 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 
my drive and my strength. You know, I don't have, the, you know, the push-up strength. Mm-hmm. I don't have, there's certain things I can't do. So I just can't walk into any room and any situation, just completely think I'm going to will myself through this, mm. you know. Certain things have to be in place certain to protect have to be in place the at queen. certain times. Mm. It's also exhausting to have to will yourself through dangerous situations or to fix, you know, messes and just digging out of the whole documentary thing. I mean, all of it just takes a toll. I'm like, you know, I need peace. How are you getting that today? Ah, you know, I meditate. I learned okay. transcendental meditation. I try to do that. I started waking up really early in December. I've always been a night person. Mm-hmm. But I started getting up at 530 Mm-hmm meditating, journaling, and starting the day on my own terms, getting a few things done that are important to me before the world comes at me. So I'm like planted. Yeah, It's harder to knock me off my game because I'm like, I've already been up for three hours. Yeah. So I'm on my mission. Yeah. Things like that, you know? I'm sad. I'm sad to hear that with all those accomplishments that you ended up leaving the game because you just had enough. I had enough. You had enough. And I know I read somewhere when you said after it happened, um, you felt broken. Mm-hmm. Do you still feel broken? I know I you say you're in the process no, of I don't healing. I feel broken, but I did have to, after I said me too, acknowledge that. Because I was so, the public perception of saying me too is like, oh my God, you're so strong. You're so brave. But it was also like, oh no, no, now I'm a rape victim. Mm. Like now in the real. world. Now it's real. It's yeah. like Drew Dixon rape victim. Because you held it in for over 20 plus years. 24, I think it was, when I said me too. So now it's like, so I, there was a part of me like privately that went through a period of like self-loathing and mm. like really like hated myself privately. So I'm like being filmed for this documentary and I'm like, I'm sounding very like proud and strong and I'm free. And yeah. yes, that's true. And yeah. But behind closed doors, I was like almost going backwards in terms of the way I felt about myself because I had to go back to the broken part and kind of bring that piece of myself into my story. Whereas before I was like that, but now it's like out there. So I had to like, I kind of hit rock bottom behind closed Mm. doors after I said me too. And then I had to like incorporate the victim into the survivor and the silence breaker. Mm-hmm. And Oprah exiting the film in a way really forced me to finally just stand up and level up. Stand I could just be own. like, okay, I'm saying it, but I like I'm si- like I'm in the New York Times, I'm in the documentary, but I'm not going to just say it like out loud. Like I said it with two people rolling a camera or two people taking notes at a table at the New and York yeah, Times. Yeah, I'm quoted in a magazine, but I'm not standing mm. there. Having like to go to sun, like today. I'm standing here right now mm-hmm. or sitting here right now, but mm-hmm. saying it, mm-hmm. going to Sundance, trembling, no Oprah, doing the Q and A after the film. That you know, being asked by the New York Times and other articles that were written about it, Oprah's exit and having to speak mm. out about that. Yeah, that's when I had to really find the the strength to go with this broken part that had like shown up again out of nowhere. Mm. And was really leading me to make some very self-destructive choices, I'm just going to be honest, Mm. in my personal life Mm -hmm. that I'm not proud of. Just very, like, not, like, I'm a rape victim, whatever, sure, kind of thing. 
And then I started to kind of put it all together, heal, continuing to heal. Yeah. And then again, this thing happened to my kid. I was like, okay, I got to keep going. More boundaries, more boundaries. And I'm just still... Evolving. Evolving. Yeah. I love that for you. Thank you. I really do. Is there any advice you want to give to any woman out there? Um, Um, If they feel like they're struggling with speaking up, mm. what would you like to say to them? Yeah. So I would like to say to any woman, girl, boy, man, Mm -hmm. person. But I want to center women and girls, you know, for this setting. Who feels unsafe, um, trust that. You guys have technology that I didn't have back in the day, email. And an idea that I've come up with that I suggest from time to time is if something happens that makes you feel like you're being taken out of your comfort zone and it makes you feel like a little bit of a way, like in your stomach or whatever, mm-hmm. email yourself with like the subject line, yuck or yikes. And then if it happens again, reply to all, even though it's just you, with whatever, and describe what it is in the email. If it happens again, reply to that email, which is you replying to yourself, and do it again, mm-hmm. right, the next thing. If you have to do it a third time or a fourth time, I would invite you to compare the fourth email to the first email. Mm-hmm. And you might be shocked by how big of a difference there is between something that you think is just yikes now and what was yikes four times ago. Because you may be getting groomed away from what was like a yikes before, something that would be like, what? If it had been the first thing is now, yikes. If that happens, now I would invite you to forward that email thread to somebody you trust. Because now you've done a couple things. You've spared yourself having to repeat it again, which is traumatic. Mm. You've got timestamps, which could be valuable legally or in some other way. And you now can enlist another person to join you potentially in helping you find safety and navigating out of the situation. So that's just a small thing that I've thought of, you know. That's super smart. Thank you. Because you're documenting. Yeah. It's the feeling. Yeah. It's a feeling. It's a feeling. Because I look at what Russell did in the beginning, which culminated with a rape 18 months Mm. later. And the little things were like, oh, you know, comments on the phone. And I was like, eh. You know, pulling me aside, coming out of the bathroom in a restaurant. That was actually not a little thing. But it got worse. And it's going to get worse. So trust your gut. And if you don't trust your gut enough to, like, make a big announcement and make a big deal, just tell yourself. You know? Yeah. And love yourself. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and make space for the part of you that's strong and proud and... Make space for the part of you that's afraid and not so sure. They're both real. They both deserve your compassion, our compassion. You know, you don't suddenly become like a survivor and like not a victim. I'm going to be a victim for the rest of my life. I'm also going to be a survivor as long as God gives me breath. There you go. I'm going to be both things forever. And that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Drew, for being here. All right, you guys, that is a wrap for Woman Hip Hop Podcast with Jazzy Bell and my beautiful, beautiful guest, Drew 
Dixon. Make sure y'all continue to support her and everything that she does and support this podcast at Women in Hip Hop. And I will see you again soon. Deuces. created a space where we can celebrate the unsung and the undervalued. A place where we focus on the many talents and influences for women within the culture in hopes to inspire women everywhere to overcome adversity in a male-dominated world. Welcome to Women in Hip Hop. Hey man, it's your boy Shard. It's your boy G Downs. Here from Bad Speakers Podcast. If you're a fan of Bad Speaker Podcast, then be sure to check and subscribe to Bad Speakers Podcast. A show that covers interviews, music, hip hop, sex, barbershop talk, anything that you want from the culture and podcast. And it's brought to you by exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip hop, powered by creators. Hey man, if you want that real, tune in to Bad Speakers Podcast. Uncut, unadulterated, real. Hip-hop barbershop talk.